You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And this back, the Gator Panel 2019 edition. Uncle Silk from the Big Three Roll-Up and Stadium Gale and myself gather the best media members uh, covering the Florida Gators. And uh, we know you guys got a big kick out of the Gator panel last year when we first did it a, a year ago. And, of course, we were bringing it back, uh, bringing you all the thoughts and analysis from uh, uh, Will Salmon from The Athletic, Thomas Goldcamp from Swamp 24-7, Nick DeLatore, uh from Gator Country, and uh, Dan Thompson from Gator Country and Stadium and Gale. Uh, as well so a lot of good stuff uh, is covered in this episode from 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 all of us and we hope you uh hope you check it out hope you like it and uh be sure to reach out to us on social media uh but both of us stadium gale big three roll up gators breakdown uh and let us know what you think uh a lot of good stuff here a lot of good stuff for the for the next hour or so so be sure to follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Follow me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And here is the 2019 edition of the Gator Panel. Welcome to another Gator Panel. It's Uncle Silk from the Big Three Roll Up. I got my man Dave Waters with me. Dave? Man, we are 2019 edition here. Uh, glad I could get some people together, talk some Gators football once again. This was a, a big hit last year, and uh, of course we had to do it again. All right, everybody introduce themselves. We have a uh, little bit of everything. We got my man Dan Thompson from, where are you from now, Dan? Stady Miguel? Stady Miguel <laughs> and Gator Country. Got to hold it down for the OG. We got Nick De La Torre. Nick De La Torre, Gator Country. And Will Simone. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, right? Yeah. And my man Will, Will Sabin. Sabin. Will Sabin from The Athletic. All right, guys. Is, and Thomas uh, go camp. Don't forget, don't forget Thomas. Oh, yeah, man. Bad, what's, what's, that? what's that, Silk? <laughs> my bad, dog. I'm looking right at you, too. You we have Thomas go camp from 247. Thomas, what's up, man? I'm good, man. Glad to be back on. Glad to have you guys. I was a short notice this time, but everybody kind of jumped right on, and we jumped right on tonight after we agreed. So um, me and Dave going to mix it up. He's going to ask some questions. I'll ask some questions. Um, y'all, we'll jump in to- ask, y'all jump in and ask some questions? Yeah, uh, we'll try not to keep it as homework, too homework, but it's an elephant in the room. Right off the bat, we had the Huggins and um, media situation with uh, Dan Baker and whatnot. So what's your opinion on that, Thomas Goldcamp? Um, I know you you a guy that kind of had that information before it, it got released, but you didn't put it out there. What's your opinion on, on um, the way it was presented to Mullen and the way Mullen handed it afterwards as far as uh, shutting down access to the team? Yeah, I, I don't know if the access shutdown was related or not. Um, 
I, it probably was, but it really wasn't a whole lot of access that we lost. Uh, I think you know most people on the beat would agree with that. We really weren't seeing much. Um, personally, I think I think the the biggest issue that I have with the whole thing is I thought it could have been handled better, um, given the fact that UF had been approached behind the scenes, uh, talking to the this, you know the sports information director and whatnot. Basically, we we had com- we had gotten comments from UF on Monday night about the situation. And we basically were trying to talk to UF and try to have that handled in a situation where we could maybe get Dan Mullen off to the side, you know, off camera. Um, and for whatever reason, I don't know the reason, you know, that, that UF didn't want to do that. But they basically said, no, that's OK. We're, we, we don't have a lot of time. Uh, you guys are free to ask Dan on camera. And I think the way that it played out became kind of a gotcha moment. Um, and it became more of a spectacle than it really should have been. Um, and so th- that to me, that's the biggest issue I have is I think it could have been handled differently on both sides from the media and UF. Um, but I think at the end of the day, there were obviously some issues with Huggins and they were brought to light. And I, I guess kind of that's where we're at now, you know. Nick, you got anything on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think what Thomas said, I, I didn't expect it to blow up. And I mean, it, it kind of became a national thing, um, too. And, and I get it because it's Dan Mullen and it's Florida. So it becomes a big national thing. I get that. But like Thomas said, I think. We offered to have that chance to, you know, off to the side where it's not, not you know, live streaming on YouTube and, and, and to just get some clarity on the situation. Because, I mean, it's not like we were asking about some kid, some walk-on or, or, or somebody. This is going to be a kid that, that was going to play. And I think I wrote after spring, I was like, yo, put Trey Dean at safety so you can get Huggins on the field. Um, so I, I think it was a kid that, we were getting asked questions a lot. Hey, is he at practice? What is he doing? Is he around? And it's no, he's not. So, um, and then the other thing is, is that we all requested the police reports or if anything had gone on with Huggins, I know I did over a month ago. It just so happened we got those police reports Sunday night, um, like at 8 p.m. the night before we were supposed to talk to Dan Mullen. So, I mean, that also doesn't help the case. We could have gotten it, you know, a month ago and, and not, you know, eight hours before nine hours before a press conference. And now we're kind of springing, springing things on him. And, and we're still trying to familiarize ourselves with the police report and do all that kind of stuff. Well, Sam, a quick question. What do you think the, uh, from an outsider's perspective, what do you think the perception of the program is right now? It's probably misinformed. I think that from like a large perspective, from like that big picture perspective of it, you see the five incidents of alleged uh, violence toward women. And I think the first sort of inclination for a lot of people is to point to a, quote, culture, unquote, issue or problem. And it's a little bit unfair when people do that because they're coming at it from just like this. I don't I don't want to completely say uninformed because it's such a it's a topic that you know, you want to have, you want to be very critical of when that's where a thing does happen. But context is pretty important in a lot of those issues. And so we do have that happen uh, at, at Florida in particular, when you have a, a series of incidents like this that are completely unrelated and are just not exactly, um, I guess, at all related to one another. And they just sort of happen with individual people. I think the um, reaction from people outside the program or who don't cover the program every day is to kind of tie it all together because that's convenient for people to do. And if you don't have a lot of the facts or if you don't have a lot of 
uh, backgrounds on those issues or what has happened since or the discipline actions that have been taken afterward, then I understand that that's what people will do. Uh, but I think that's probably what the perception is, whether that's right or wrong. Uh, to a large degree, it's a little bit uninformed, but that's probably what the perception is. And I think I think part of that is because UF didn't want to get ahead of it, which which I think is is wrong. I, you have to imagine that Dan Mullen know that this question was coming, and I don't think that he answered the question correctly. But I think part of it has to do with kind of the first article that came out that spread was, you know, this is all of the issues that Florida has, and then nowhere in there did it mention that Florida has dismissed all of them, or if you did, you had to get all the way down towards the end. And I think once that happened, and once you you highlight all five instances in a row, and then you don't really say, hey, this is what Florida has done, or there's no additional, I guess, research that is provided about what Florida is doing, and there's no question that was asked about what is Florida doing to try to make sure that these problems are ameliorated in the future, that then that's what people run with. And then you have people that have hundreds of thousands of followers that are tweeting, look at this huge cultural problem at Florida. And Florida could have probably mitigated at the beginning with a better answer. But since they didn't, that is what people ran with. And then that's the narrative. And now you have to play damage control for a few days before everybody's like, well, hold on. There is probably more to the story. Oh, yeah. By the way, Florida did alleviate all four players and the, the one coach that was involved. Hey, Nick, you were there, we, we, you know, we were in, in Hoover at uh, SEC Media Days, and a lot of the stuff was coming out before then. When Dan Mullen was straight up asked in, in the room that we got before he went out to the national media, he was straight up asked about Huggins because of a lot of the rumors and stuff that were going around. And it kind of started there because Mullen came out and said he's still with the team, he's still taking classes, he'll, he'll be part of the team. Do we get to the first practice of fall camp and he's not there? So, of course, the questions were going to – you know, we're going to arise again and keep getting hounded on. And you know, the family issue is, is still kind of, you know, where they where where they kind of started out when fall camp started. So you know, it dates back what a month and a half now. And it just kind of kept growing from there. And another part about this, as far as the narrative and what we heard and everything the last couple of weeks was the one thing that got on my nerves was Dan Mullen not doing enough about education and prevention because of these five players. Look, two of the guys – it doesn't matter what education or prevention that you would have brought in Justin Watkins and Jalen Jones. Those guys weren't on campus long enough. They brought their issue. You could say they brought their issues with them, you know, and, and it's not a, a, a matter of, hey, the, the cultural problem at UF is what caused this. No, those guys weren't even on campus long enough for whatever education prevention programs that Florida has to make a difference. Well, Florida does talk about it, and we had – Lee Begley on Stadium and Gale on, on Monday night. And, and she mentioned that at every practice and then every semester, they do have, you know, discussions about, you know, sexual violence, sexual awareness, things of that nature. So I think it's wrong to assume, and I'm not saying that that's what you're saying, but I think it's wrong to assume by a lot of people out there that Florida didn't do enough. At the end of the day, there's 115 players probably associated with the university. Um, you recruit the same guys that everybody else is recruiting. You do your best to try to make sure that they're putting themselves, you know, in smart situations in the best situations possible. And at the end of the day, you have to hope that these guys are guys that are listening to you and that are making those right decisions, especially in those spur of the moment type of situations. So, you know, I think that you know, Florida can do what they're doing. I, I think that, that the university is doing a lot. There's a lot that the university does as well outside of the football team. So I, I think it's tough to, you know, to ascribe to that notion that they weren't told enough either. Hey, Thomas, do you yeah. think we have an attrition, attrition issue? 
when you say that, you mean too many guys leaving the program? Absolutely. Um, I don't think so. I think it's pretty typical in the first year or two of a coach to have a lot of that. Um, I think there's probably been maybe a couple more than normal in terms of discipline, but I don't think it's anything crazy. Anybody else want to chime in on that? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think – I think the culture problem has been thrown around a lot, and I don't agree with that at all. Um, I don't think there's a culture problem. It's, it's like fans. It's like you guys have said – uh, when something happens, I think Mullen does let due process play out. And there's a lot of a lot of what's going on in our culture now, not just with sports or politics, just our culture is it's just a cancel culture. It's something happens. Hey, get them off, get them fired, get their life's over because, you know, they made a mistake. Um, I think Dan, Dan Mullen's not a detective. He's not a judge. He, he's not trying to play, you know, judge and jury. He's going to let stuff play out. And, and he's going to get more information than we have. He's going to have more information than the fans. So. Um, I think he's waiting to see what he needs to see um, before he starts, you know, chopping heads or kicking people out of the program. Uh, the only other thing, just from us in the media, um, I don't think anyone in the media is, is biased against Dan Mullen or trying to get Dan Mullen out. Um, I was here in 2013. I can tell you last year was a lot more fun to cover than 2013. Uh, we may not be rooting for Florida on Saturday because it's not our job to, um, but we're not rooting for Florida to lose. And, and I think that's, you know, sometimes when we report bad stuff or something happens and we report it, it's why are you reporting this? Well, that's my job too. But uh, I can just tell you, I think Thomas will echo it, Will will echo it. Covering a winning team is a lot more fun than covering a losing team. I, I don't know if people are accusing you guys and and i know that you guys aren't the ones that are are you know at that kind of the center of this issue i don't know if people are not wanting you guys to ask those questions i, I think what people want is kind of that that fairness that comes with explaining the full story right um so i think part of that is you know a follow-up question well then what are you guys doing you know if if we have an issue where you have now you know a fourth player on your team that has an issue uh with something related to sexual violence then the follow-up question should be by somebody, then what are you guys doing internally? Or, you know, follow-up questions. And obviously there's ways that you can check, you know, with the SID or, or whomever in the media department there to kind of give the full story. I, I think it's tough when that story gets reported on that you have, you know, your fourth player and then your fifth person associated with the program, you know, has an issue of sexual violence. And it's basically cast in the way that an article is written as, Hey, you know, Florida has all of these issues and we're not going to then, you know, research what, what they're doing to potentially solve that problem. I think that's what people are more, you know, curious about. Yeah. And look, I understand that. I, I understand that completely. I think kind of going back to what Nick said and what I was trying to get at a little bit earlier is I, I think that there there was a lot on Huggins that was going on, obviously, behind the scenes. OK, so he he was off the field for whatever reason whether it was family family situation or something else that hadn't even been reported on. He wasn't at camp. He was a guy that was a key player. And I think part of what happened in the way the question was phrased to Dan Mullen was people trying to tie in a way to appropriately ask him. And I think mm -hmm. the way that came out was, um, okay, we can tie it into these other issues and say, okay, fra you know, frame it in this bigger picture question. And I think that's the way it came out. And I think it looked like a gotcha moment, whereas I think if we had been able to sit down and talk with Dan behind the scenes and explain, hey, you know, we're not necessarily saying that you have a problem with your program, but like, you know, these incidents are out there. What, what's your take on that? I think it would have probably 
played out a little differently than maybe looking like a spectacle because there was other stuff out there on Huggins. The people Mm -hmm. that went for the police reports weren't necessarily looking for this October incident, Mm -hmm. but once it pops up, you start to have internal discussions with your editors, you know, even other reporters on the beat about, okay, how do we handle this? And somebody, you know, one reporter obviously took it and framed it in, in a bigger context. And so that ended up playing out looking like a culture issue where maybe that was really just a way to try to get it, you know, responded to, I guess, from, from USN. And I'm not saying that was the right approach necessarily, mm-hmm. but I think that's kind of how it unfolded more than like, okay, we're trying to stick UF with this big culture problem. Will, uh, one more thing here on this before we uh, get into some football. Yeah. One other thing is Florida can't really say much at all when it comes to what they're doing in these circumstances either. And I think that's a valid point to bring up because they're never, we're never ever going to come across, come away from those press conferences feeling all of a sudden enlightened about why a certain kid is no longer on the team or why somebody's not playing. It's never, ever going to happen. And another thing is um, this school works really closely with its, I, I should say the athletic department works really closely with student conduct and, and conflict resolution at UF. And so if that side of things is telling them, hey, handle this kid this way, they're going to handle that kid that way. And that may mean playing him or that may mean sitting him, but they're not going to cross what they've been told to do. And that's not going to be said, uh, but I'm pretty sure that that's the case because when we hear words like protocol or process or words like that, um, none of that stuff has any meaning. But if you read between the lines, I think that's what Mm -hmm. they're saying. Yeah, I don't know if it's so much about addressing this particular situation as much as it is, you know, Will, you and I were there uh, when we saw Dan Mullen speak at the the Tampa Gator Club, and there was a lot of questions about Chris Steele, and there was a lot of follow-up to, well, what does your process look like when X happens? When When a kid is looking to transfer or enter the transfer portal, what are those discussions? Or if they say that they're homesick or they say that they want to be closer to family or that it's not cutting, what kind of conversations are you having? I think that that could have probably been an adequate follow-up. And I don't know if anybody, you know, my, myself or anybody that's critical – can't speak for all of Gator Twitter because you know how they can get. But, you know, I I think at the end of the day, a lot of people are just wondering, well, where are those follow-up questions about, you know, maybe what does protocol look like and what do you guys do to educate? And I think that's the way it it could have been framed a little bit different. But I totally get it. I know that there's other issues going on behind the scenes. So, um, but job well done to you guys because you guys are fantastic people. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Um, Football now, guys? Good there. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll start top. Uh, probably, of course, starts with quarterback uh, Felipe Franks. Do we make too much out of his end of season run last year and how it would translate to 2019? Nick. Um, I, I think obviously you, you can name the things, you know, it was a, a Michigan team that didn't want to be in the game and sat a bunch of players. It was a bad Florida state team. It was Idaho. It was a bad South Carolina team. I don't care. I was, I was as critical, I think, as anybody about Felipe Franks. And, and at least for me, he made me a believer. Uh, I'm still at the standpoint where I need to see it again. Were those things that I just mentioned, were, are those actual things? Or are those just you know, something that a rival fan would, say, would point to and, and say, no, he hasn't turned the corner. Um, these are the reasons why. But I've gotten to the point with Felipe Franks where I'm expecting – for him to show me that, yeah, no, you should believe that I have turned the corner. So um, I, I don't get the, uh, I don't know what the transition was. I don't know what did it for him. I don't know if it was he needed to tell everyone in that stadium to shut up. 
you know, myself included, and that took a weight off his back. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Felipe Franks, in my opinion, will be and can be, especially in this offense, the way that he can run, the way that he started to run at the end of the year, can be one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Will? Yeah, I mean, with Felipe Franks, I think it all comes down to confidence. I think Nick was touching on it just there, but we, we've seen a totally different guy. And I don't know how that translates on the field, but the guy's op- the guy really operates with a sense of conviction, it looks like. And he's placed in posi- positions where I don't want to say he's, uh, you know, foolproof or, or bulletproof, but he's placed in, su- in, in situations that are high success rate for him that's happened to his skill set. So I, I don't know how much... Um, he's going to prove early on or not, uh, but he has the opportunity to really build off of you know a strong finish to this year, and that's a hell of a lot better than what we were talking about him 12 months ago. And I think a lot of it just rests on what your expectations are and what bar you're setting for Felipe Franks, right? I think that he can be a, a good quarterback, can be a great quarterback potentially. Uh, I, you know, I think what Florida needs out of him is you know he only had. Uh, what six turnovers last year he had 31 touchdowns um, you know that he was associated with so Florida can get you know a few less interceptions or turnovers and you know keep a similar touchdown number then you know I think that Florida is going to be happy I mean Dan Mullen has always had quarterbacks that have focused on you know production and moving the ball forward and not necessarily just putting it putting up gaudy stats and I think as long as you have that and as long as he's running with the confidence he did of a you know of a wild giraffe last year and he's putting the ball where it needs to be and living those turnovers and you know I think that that's where you know he can be and where he will be I think the idea and expectation of him being this prolific passer that takes over you know the NCAA or the SEC is probably a little far-fetched but um, you know if he has confidence he limits those turnovers he can be you know enough of a quarterback and add in all of the other skill positions that Florida has it's that's all you really need out of him Thomas and uh, Silk, just to extend quarterback uh, and not so much Felipe Franks, how much do we see Emory Jones this year? And I, I, I'm I'm of the belief, I think this team goes as far as as good as Felipe Franks can take them, and, and it rests on his shoulders of, uh, of, you know, 10, 11, 12, even more wins maybe. Is Do you save him in some form or fashion, if it's third and short, fourth and short, goal line to go situations? Is there are there situations those you put Emory Jones in those situations just to save from just to save Felipe Frank from taking so many hits? Uh, I think we used him in situations last year, even when he was a true freshman, they was trying to redshirt him. Um, in the Georgia game, he came in in certain situations. I think uh, that goes up a, a bit this year. I don't know. I don't know how much he uses him in the first game or when he starts, but I think he plays a lot of situational football for us. This is just a guess at this point, but yeah, that, that's my opinion that he does. See, my, my thinking is probably a little different. I think um, I think that he's definitely going to play some this year. I mean, Dan Mullen's process of developing quarterbacks, uh, it kind of relies on throwing those guys into live situations where it actually matters. Um, but I do think when you have uh, a pretty new offensive line, I think they're going to be cautious about doing that in maybe the big games um, because I don't think you want to throw that line uh, for a loop necessarily in key situations. I think that can be the difficulty maybe this year compared to last year where you had multi-year starters and those guys were pretty confident. Um, I, I don't know that you're going to want to do that quite as much in some of these big games, but that that's my thinking. I, I can see that too. 
Now we'll move on. Uh, Silk sent this question uh, and earlier kind of in line with what I was going to ask too. Offensive line's a big question too, but I don't think we can forget about the defensive line as well in the trenches at Florida. Does Florida's offensive line, defensive line hold up against some of the top talent, some of the better teams in the SEC? And Will, I'll start with you. So you mean I don't get to talk about how much I like Emory Jones? <laughs> oh, well, go ahead. We're we're, we're, we're right on the heels of that one. Go right ahead. Will, David, I'm, I'm, a noted Emory Jones hater. Don't don't even give him the floor. <laughs> oh no, no, don't get that one started. You know, Nick, I can like Felipe Franks and I can like Emory Jones just the same, and I'll prove it to you this season too. If you'd say so. <laughs> I'll prove it to you this year. Nick, are um, you still on the are you still on the Traskov? Ah, uh, you know, I, I I'm still on the trash <laughs> train just because I can't. He's, be the, he's the queen bee. Just because I can't be a flip flopper, I'm still I'm still uh, the conductor of the trash train. But I, I, I you know, we're running fast because there's not many people on board anymore. Hey man, so many so many people saved my uh, trash tweets all these years for no reason. That's beautiful. <laughs> all right, well, what about Emory? Well, I mean, I just I just I just love Emory Jones, man. I, I'm a, I'm a huge Emory Jones fan. All of a sudden, like the more the more people I talk about with him, the more I like him. I just like how. Um, the guy just has that sense of confidence with him and he just doesn't have any sort of like insecurity with him. I think he's really secure. And I think that's like, that's a really cool thing for a backup QB. And he's always sort of been that way from what I gather. I mean, I think that's such a, a, a huge character trait that people overlook as far as the quarterback room. And, and we saw that with Felipe Franks just a couple of years ago with how insecurities could kind of play into the way you look on the field. And so for Emory Jones not to have that, as far as my estimation goes, it's a bit, that's big, man. I don't know how it's, I don't know how much he's going to play, but I'm already, um, I'm already excited about him. I know, I know Jacob Copeland gets a lot of love these days and rightfully so, but man, I'm, I'm high on Emory Jones heading into, um, if not this year, next year, for sure. Um, quick question. What kind of camp, like I haven't heard, seen a whole lot of information about what type of camp he's having. Uh, he's progressed as far as far as um, I don't want to say accuracy. I want to use a Dan Mullen phrase here and say ball placement. So uh, he's improved. He's improved in that area a little bit. So I think that I think that's pretty important. And I think he just has a better understanding of the offense. He's a lot more confident. If he talks to the wide receivers, they'll tell you that you know he's a lot more confident in um, just going through his reads. I think that's one of the things that Freddie Swain may have mentioned. Is he said this? I think about all the QBs, but but really. Emory Jones in particular is his ability to not just lock on, lock into that one guy, but go through his second read, go through the progression, go to the check down if necessary. Uh, yeah, we'll bounce back to, to the question. Offensive line, defensive line in the, in the trenches. Uh, Nick, uh, I'll, I'll go, yeah, I'll start with you now. Uh, is there enough talent there uh, for Florida to, 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 to stand up against some of the better teams? You know, uh, LSU, Georgia, uh, probably top two teams are going to face this year in, in overall talent. Is there enough talent in the trenches for the Gators uh, to, to get it done? Uh, you know, say if an injury or uh, two happens uh, along, you know, the, the starting five, starting four uh, on both sides of the ball. Um, yeah, I, I, certainly on defense. I'm not really worried about that. I think maybe you worry about inside. I'm still high on TJ Slayton. Um, I, I, I'm, that's going to end up being like a me and Kyle Trask situation if it doesn't happen this year. But, I, but I'm still <laughs> high on TJ Slayton. Um, I love the guy. I love the starters. Uh, but I'm, I'm still waiting for Conliff and Slayton to, to prove me right. Um, to me, on the offensive line, I think it gets trickier. Um, 
I've been hearing great things about Ethan White, and, and I think they still love their their front five, their their first five. Um, but you know, losing Noah Banks was, is a guy that could have played four positions for you on the offensive line, and um, and, and I think that was a big loss for Florida. I think they anticipated it because he hadn't been on the practice field for a little while before he made the decision to um, to medically retire. Um, so they weren't really necessarily counting him in based on his history and what he was going through at the time during camp. But yeah, I think if, if you start, if everyone stays healthy magically, I think you're fine. Um, if you start getting injuries, multiple injuries, then I think you, you know, you start to worry, but I mean, how many teams in the country, um, can withstand losing two or three offensive linemen and, and still feel good about themselves? I do like the first, uh, the first five, um, I like the left side more than the right side. And uh, I'm really interested to see uh, Ethan White in action because uh, I think John Hevesy likes him. And uh, the, I've heard nothing but, but positive things, not only about his dedication to changing his body, which you can see, um, but just how he's moving and how he's playing. And, and he seems to be, you know, one of those nasty road grader, you know, offensive line types. Thomas, is there a, is there a player on the offensive line we're not really or that we're overlooking, not necessarily talking enough about? I don't think so. I mean, it's hard to say with guys that haven't played a whole lot. I've yeah. I've always kind of like Chris Bleich, um, but no, I mean, I, I think Nick pretty much nailed it. I mean, I don't really have anything to add to that. I think when you you talk about my op- Miami and the you know the season opener, I don't have a whole lot of concerns about that first group. the The big issue is what does that unit look like come Georgia, you know, and come November? Yeah. Um, that's the big question for me. Attrition. Yeah, if it's the same five, and we're talking about that, what, game, what, eight, somewhere around there, and it is exactly. those, is that same starting five, then yeah, you, then you, you feel great about the East. Yeah. I mean, then you feel great about your chances. And and on the flip side, I don't feel that way about the D-line at all. I think the D-line, um, you may not have a Ja'Kai Polite this year that's going to put up ridiculous numbers, but you look across the board, man, you're eight to ten deep, where I don't think there's a whole lot of drop-off in any of those guys. I mean, you go from uh, Jabari Zaniga to Zach Carter, that's not a big drop-off. Um, same thing with Greener to Moon, who's had a, you know, Moon's had a really good camp. So I think, you know, across the board on the D-line, I don't have a whole lot of concerns. I think you're deep enough there. It's just what does that O-line look like come, you know, come the end of the season? Dan, uh, we could probably say, what, a few months ago, we weren't necessarily worried about defensive back depth. And now CJ McWilliams and, and John Huggins and what's going on there and what happens nickel and star and how do they figure out, uh, you know, depth behind that position I'm still not at the point now where I'm worried uh, about that. As long as Trey Dean stays healthy, you have him there to count on. Uh, Florida's history of freshman defensive backs coming in and being able to live up to the expectation and, and live up to, to the accolades that they have when they they come in and, they, and make plays right away. I'm not at the point where I'm worried yet. Is, 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 is it okay for worry to creep in for some fans out there of, of what happens with C.J. McWilliams and John Huggins in the depth there now? Yeah, um, I think a little. I think it's okay to to be cautiously optimistic and, and hope that it all works out. You know, at the end of the day, you know, Florida has two, uh, you know, great cornerbacks. You know, probably two of the better cornerbacks in the you know NCAA that are back there, uh, and they've recruited well. Um, you know. The, the problem is, is despite the phrase, the further you are away from the ball, the easier it is to, to kind of learn and, and pick up. Um, you know, there is definitely some concern whenever you have to rely on freshmen that you probably weren't expecting to play this year. Now, I do say all of that to say that I do think that Hill, Elam and Kimbrough are all capable cornerbacks this year to potentially play. 
I think if that happens, if there is an injury to Wilson or Henderson, that Trey Dean is going to move over. Uh, but once he does that, I, I am a little bit worried about what you do at nickel. I know that they're talking about maybe moving Amari Birdie back uh, to nickel, but there's definitely some question marks that are there. And they're young back there. That doesn't mean that they're not talented or they're not experienced. I also think, you know, I disagree with Thomas a little bit. I think that Florida could have a better defensive line this year uh, than they did last year, just because I think that you have some guys that have been in the system a little bit longer. Uh, but also, I, I would say that, you know, their defense isn't necessarily predicated on having two lockdown cornerbacks either. I think that Todd Grantham, you know, is pretty sophisticated in his scheming when it comes to coverage uh, in the back end. So Florida does have to rely on, on Elam uh, or Hill or uh, Kimbrough to, to, to play or to play meaningful snaps, you know, I think the Florida should be able to compensate because they do have a, a really strong uh, team around them on, uh, on the defense side of the ball. Just, just to clarify, I actually think the D-line can be better uh, than last year as well. I was just saying that uh, even though you don't necessarily have a polite, I think you're so deep across the board that you're going to be able to roll two, three deep without really okay. seeing any drop-off. My apologies. Silk and uh, Will, I'll get you in here. And and Dan brought up one player I definitely wanted to bring up, and Amari Bernie. Does he really have a set position uh, the way we the way we're moving forward now? I know we all wanted to see him at linebacker, and that's the position that looked like he was going to take and, and just kind of take over. But with what's happened uh, at nickel and the star and the depth there, and maybe he slides over there, or maybe some type of rotation, and he gets slid back to safety. I, I'm I'm looking at there may be a point where we don't really pinpoint the position here. It, for him this year, he's just lined up all over the field. You just gotta get your back best eleven on the field. If, if it's if it's uh, somebody hurt and Bernie being at the star gets your best eleven on the field, that's what you gotta do. He's he's good enough of a uh, talent to do that. He can play both positions. So it's this type of guys they try to recruit, get those guys that are flexible that can play multiple positions. Man, another thing to to mention is. This isn't the first time we've heard Amari Bernie going into both rooms. He was talking about yeah. that, and Todd Grantham was talking about that in the spring. So it's not like all of a sudden he's trying to you know, absorb information from both rooms. That's been going on for a while, um, where he's, spe- he's spent a little bit of time here, a little bit of time there, uh, doing different things in different formations and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's super talented. He's a bright kid, and... You know, he has that skill set and it would frankly be, you know, coaching like malpractice to not have him uh, be informed on both of those positions because of the lack of lack of depth that you have. A kid like CJ McWilliams, if you're going to rely on him, no offense to him, but if you're going to be asking him to do some heavy lifting for you like he did in a couple of games last year, you're probably already pretty screwed, um, to be frank, just because there's a there's a drop off there. Um, but with, with John Huggins, that's the that's the guy who obviously um, compromises your depth quite a bit so that you don't have that ace backup or that backup uh, safety slash nickel that you would otherwise have. But you do have Bernie's versatility where you could slide him over there and play a James Houston or a Ventrell Miller alongside yep. David Reese. And those are two guys who I think are, are really a lot better than what people give them credit for. And they have the potential to continue to improve. And if you talk to people around that program, Ventrell Miller um, is, is an excellent athlete who um, people have told me actually leads that room in more ways than David Reese does just because he's more vocal. And James Houston, out of all those linebackers, he's the guy that people say um, has the ability to go to the NFL, which is, you know, kind of makes you, uh, you know, raise your eyebrows a little bit when you hear that. 
but they're not saying that, you know, I, you know, just off the top of their head. I mean, they see this every day. So I, I think there's a lot more depth um, when you look at the versatility across the board than what people give Florida credit for. Yeah, I was going to jump in on that and say I think the yeah. fact that you're not hearing more names at Nickelback and they are, you know, basically talking about Bernie, it tells you a lot about that linebacker room behind David Reese because I think I think Will just nailed it. I mean, those guys, they can count on those guys. Those are third-year guys in the program now in Miller and in Houston. And I think it says more about them than maybe, uh, you know, the freshman corners not being ready or anything like that. I think Bernie's the play all the way if they have to shift guys around and then you, you feel comfortable with those other linebackers. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go. Maybe we may save this for later, but unsung players. If we talk about you know some guys we haven't really discussed about, and mine will go be those two linebackers, of course, because for what we heard from them and and what they probably bring to the table, it does free up Bernie to go do other things. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly where I was going to go uh, if we hit on that topic. Silk, you want to jump back in, man? On oh, on the whole Bernie thing? No, just uh, where, oh, where, oh. where where we where we going next? Oh, questions I got. Um, we can jump into this. Uh, the first game we got Miami. Uh, they named Jaron Williams the quarterback. They got Nelson, the true freshman offensive tackle, playing left tackle. And they got a redshirt freshman at the right tackle. I know I'm homerish, extra homerish, and I've been saying burgers, but I don't see a way that that team can be able to scheme and, and be able to survive and, and score points on, on us. Thomas, how do you think? They even cover the spread. How do you, how you think this, this becomes a game? Uh, I don't think it does. Uh, I've been on record for a couple weeks now saying I think Florida wins by at least two touchdowns, and that's the biggest reason. I mean, you can break down all the other matchups you want, um, but I just don't think Florida's going to have any trouble getting to the quarterback against a very inexperienced Miami line. And you talk about that guy going out there for his first game, man. I just have flashbacks to you know Felipe Franks in, mm-hmm. in that Michigan game. I, I don't see any way around that. Uh, I think that's the matchup that decides the game. And um, if you're asking me how it can be close, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's. I, I really like Manny Diaz. I think he's going to be a good coach. Um, but you're looking at a program that, and I still call them, you know, the Portal Boys, or I don't, I don't know what you call them. <laughs> um, but he's had he's had to piece this team together, this roster together through transfers, through JUCOs just to field something that will be competitive where you've got Dan Mullen and outside of, you know, the offensive linemen that left and, and some other guys, you, you're returning so much and you're in year two. And, and we've had guys tell us all spring um, practice is faster. There's so much more stuff that's in. I forget which player told us today that, you know, we didn't, or obviously Clement told us today, there's trick plays, there's stuff that we didn't even know about that was in the playbook because they hadn't opened it up yet because they were still learning. And I think you're going to look at a Miami team on August 24th that's still learning the system, that's still trying to figure out where am I supposed to be, what's this look, what's that look, in a Florida team that um, is in year two in a strength program and is in year two in a system that they're comfortable with now. And um, I, I don't know. I, like, I, I think I tweeted it last week or whenever. I saw the Limes at seven. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't know what I'm missing. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't really see this game being competitive. I, I, like Thomas mentioned, I think this is – kind of, to me, has Michigan-Florida from 2017 written all over it. Well, and the, the coaches for Miami are going to be learning, too, because that's one of the mm-hmm. big things Dan Mullen talked about was it took them almost half a season to figure out what they had in terms of personnel. I know Manny Diaz has been there before, but you got an offensive coordinator learning new guys, too, for Miami. Florida doesn't have any of those issues. I mean, you got veterans on both sides of the ball that know the system. I just think you're going to see Florida come out a lot cleaner in that game. Silk, it's funny, man. <laughs> the last couple of days – 
mine and your tweets have been dug up about how the, the good we talked about Jerry Williams when, when you know Jim McElwain was recruiting him. And look, it doesn't, that doesn't mean the kid is not eventually going to be good or can't be good. But we just don't. I never, I never said he was terrible. Exactly. Yeah, we, I, yeah, 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 they're trying to they're trying to hit us on something that's not even you know they're able to do that. They need, uh, but, they need some hope. <laughs> But yeah, this is this is Miami's best long-term solution, I think. Uh, Nikosi Perry was the turnover machine. Tech Martell needs a step stool to, to get anything done. So it's uh, best long-term uh, move for them. And uh, it's uh, Thomas said it right. My, my first place my head went to was Felipe Franks in Michigan. I, I just don't see what Todd Grantham, what he schemes, what he brings when you don't know where, where Blitz is coming from where and the creativity that he has uh, and, and Jerry Williams seeing that for the first time. I don't care how much tape you watch. Uh, you're not prepared for that type of speed. You're not prepared. Miami's not doing anything in their practices that that, that Todd Grantham is going to bring uh, to Orlando next weekend. What, what's, what's the deal on the injury front with uh, Campbell and DeLance? Thomas. Uh, well, I don't know exactly what Delance's injury is. Uh, I've heard conflicting things on that. Um, I would say he's probably questionable right now for Miami. I know he's on crutches, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. Sometimes they have those guys, you know, anytime it's an ankle injury or something, they'll put them on it just to take weight off. Um, but I don't think Kyrie Campbell should be much of an issue. He's got a light groin strain uh, and is pretty much day-to-day at this point. Okay, cool. So, Will, yeah. I think Will has. I think okay, Will has. Okay, go ahead, Will. My bad. Well, he, I think any sort of injury on the offensive line, though, I mean, even if it's minor, it's it's kind of questionable just because it's like, who's your sixth guy still? You know, it's like, dude, I, I don't know, like, who who that guy would be because last year they had what you would call, like, a utility guy where, you know, you could plug in a Noah Banks or somebody like that who could play a variety of positions for you. I don't know who that guy is um, on Florida's second team on the offensive line. So even, like, a smaller issue – for me, um, just don't know like how that how that impacts the rest of the line. How do we see the uh, safety positions arm um, shaking out? I heard Sean Davis is having a mm-hmm. good camp, and, and and Donovan Snyder as well, and and, and Jawan Taylor was looking like two of those three is going to be the guy. How you see it shaking out? I, th- I think Sean Davis is just taking. I mean, every uh, when you have a, a safety with their safety or anyone that's tackling. Uh, with a shoulder issue, they're, they're going to be in a non-contact jersey. So Jawan Taylor is limited by that jersey. And, and I think what you're seeing is Sean Davis taking that next step. And now, where last year maybe he didn't take advantage of those extra reps, I think you're starting to see it now. Um, and I've always been high on Sean Davis. I think the the hate for Jawan Taylor and Donovan Steiner goes too far. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's a good situation for Florida. If you've got two guys, one in Jawan Taylor who – um, is older. Don Steiner's also played a lot. And then you've got a guy in Sean Davis where you might be able to have a rotation and keep guys fresh. Hey, guys that were out of practice, I guess, Nick, Thomas, Will, um, do we, are we going to see much out of Quincy Linton this year? I, I was high on him coming out of high school, and I know that he's had a lot of injuries in high school and in college. So you guys going to see the field this year? Or? He's another guy that could fit, factor in in that, in that star position um, that, that's repped there, and, and depending on because I mean, the star, the, the you know that star position. If you're in a third and fifteen, you don't want an extra linebacker on the field. That's when you would like to have Trey Dean there. That's when you'd like to have another defensive back there. You start moving those guys over. Jeremiah Moon's not playing, you know, Nickelback uh, on, on third and twelve. That's not you know putting him in the best position to be successful. 
Um, so I think you could see Quincy, Quincy Linton. It's just you just got to stay healthy. I mean, if you're not on the practice field, if you're not getting reps, you know, the, the coaches aren't going to feel comfortable to put you in the game. Yeah, the weird thing here is, you know, uh, I think it's easy to gloss over just because of uh, off-field issues. But, you know, Brad Stewart, is, we talk about the improvement with other players and all that, but he just gets glossed over because a lot of us don't, you know, whether there's a, a rumored suspension at the beginning of the season or wherever that is, if he's on the field or, or date back to last year when he had to miss some time. Uh, is you know his name wasn't brought up? Is it just because of we his his best ability this year will be availability? Yeah, I mean I think that's safe to say at this point. Yeah, no doubt you have to uh, you have to be at the practices, you know, <laughs> to kind of, to kind of, uh, to kind of uh, you know further develop. But uh, you you mentioned uh, Quincy Letton. It, it it's hard to say anything really about him just because when you talk about the safety position. A lot of times you're talking about communication and with Sean Davis and Taylor and Steiner, the coaching staff could rely on those guys so much now because they, they've improved in that in those areas and they, they are more comfortable, with, I think, with one another, but also with just making calls, getting themselves in the right positions to make plays. I think that's where you I think that's where we've seen and heard them take some some big steps forward. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that translates, but right now it does seem like they're developing and taking that next step, which only makes sense in the second year under, um, under Todd Grant, under Todd Grantham. So you good or. Yeah, I think I'm good. Man, I just get some, what you, what, what's the record prediction? What you got, Dave? Uh, I got 10 and two. Uh, I go back and forth. Uh, I, I, I hate it. I, I pencil Georgie in as a loss. I, I hate doing that. Uh, but uh, and then I, I'm not so scared of the trip to Baton Rouge uh, as uh, as other people are. Uh, that Florida LSU matchup, you know, it, it's always close. It's, it can go either way. I still think it be. I still think it might could be one of those games you're not supposed to lose, uh, whether, you know, the bugaboo of Missouri over and over again or, or the trip to Columbia, South Carolina or whatever. It still may be one of those games you, you're expecting Florida to, to go in and, and they trip up there. Um, you know, it, I mean, LSU is the obvious choice. Auburn's the other one there. Uh, but I, I still think it might be one of those other games that's, that just sneaks up and gets Florida in a 10-2 and two season. Well, I'm going 9-3. and three. Have a loss to Georgia, probably probably a loss at LSU, and I think that Missouri game is going to be pretty tough. I think Missouri is a, a tough team to sort of pin down uh, because they have a couple of unknowns there. You don't know how that quarterback, how what they're going to get from their uh, their new quarterback. You just know he's probably going to be at least somewhat solid. Um, but yeah, that, that's just a game that has all the makings of a trap game, and it's always in. It's been, historically it's been tough for Florida anyway. Yeah, yeah their quarterback is Kelly Bryant. Right. Yeah, if I, if I lose Missouri again, bro. <laughs> Sorry, man. Can any, can anyone explain that? Like, I, I don't get it. Like, Missouri hasn't – I mean, they, they went to the SEC championship yeah, game a couple no years bro. in a row. Odom's a good coach, dude. In a really bad SEC, but, like, I, I don't get it. Every Odom game is before that Missouri man. is weird, too. Even Barry Odom is terrific. Odom. I agree. And, and, and Kelly Bryant in that kind of offense where, where he can run around and create a little bit as well as throw. I'm, I'm not saying he's only, you know, only a runner. He can throw the ball too, but uh, he could be dangerous in, in, in a spread offense like Missouri is going to run. So 
Yeah, just, I, he's, he's not the thrower Drew Locke is. So they're going to have to cater to him somewhat. You can't go out there and run the same offense that they ran last yeah. year with Drew Locke. So that, that's the question I have. It's, it's not yeah, plug and play. It's not it. plug and play. Yeah, it's not yeah. plug and play with that offense. So I picked Florida to be ten and two this year. Um, I, I'm with Will. I think those are the three games that he circled that I would say are the the toughest. Um, you know, LSU, Georgia, and Missouri. The thing I go back to is I think Florida is obviously moving in the right direction under Dan Mullen. Um, and the reason I've got Florida being 10 and two, as opposed to nine and three is because I have a lot of confidence in Dan Mullen and his staff, uh, particularly with as many veterans as they've got to be able to work some serious game plans around individual teams um, and take advantage. I, I think the biggest thing that I would like to see from Florida moving forward is not having these positions like the O-line uh, where, you know, if the unit looks different come October or November, you're looking at the, you know, the worst case scenario. Um, you know, when urban Meyer was at Florida and I know that's an, it's an impossibly high standard to achieve, but like nine wins was like the baseline, like nobody nationally or otherwise was picking Florida to, to win less than nine games. I don't think Florida's there yet. I think, you know, you look at issues like the O line um, long-term for Florida to get where Florida needs to be. You've got to start to shore up that depth chart a little bit more. That's the one thing that's kind of keeping me like, ah, yeah, I'm picking them to win 10 games, but I could also see them only winning eight if things go wrong, you know? Gotcha, Dan. Or Nick. Dan, you know? Yeah, um, as the only person on this panel last year to pick the Gators to win 10 games, I feel like my opinion is probably the one you guys have been waiting for the most. (laughs) Um, And I feel like Florida is going to go – I think they're going to go 11 and 1 this year. Where's the loss, Dan? You know, this is this is the thing. I think that that Florida has a loss on there and I know that they're they are favored <laughs> to win every game right now except for LSU Georgia, and I don't know if I've saw, seen an Auburn line yet. I think if Florida can stay healthy, which is what we're assuming when we mm-hmm. give our prediction, if, if a catastrophic number of injuries happen, then I'm going to put an asterisk next to that number and I can deem it whatever I think we're going to do from there. But, um, you know, I don't think that Auburn is as good as people are giving them credit for. I think that they've got an unbelievable defense. I think they're going to have a difficulty on the, uh, the offensive side of the ball. And I really don't trust um, – Gus smells on as a head coach. I, I think that he just he goes up and down too much. Um, LSU again. I don't I, I don't buy into the Joe Burrow hype. I think that he's fine. Um, I think if Florida could beat them last year, then they can definitely beat them this year. I think that Florida is a better team this year uh, than they were last year when they beat them, and I don't think that LSU is markedly better either. Um, Georgia is a potential loss, but they're also replacing their top six wide receivers or top six rece- uh, receivers from last year. They're replacing their running back. Obviously, they have a bunch of talent on their team, uh, but there's still some question marks, and I don't necessarily think that Kirby Smart is an outstanding coach. Again, I think Florida's better than last year. I think that Georgia might be you know, as good as they were last year, but you have to remember that Florida is playing C.J. McWilliams, who you know, unfortunately did get burned a number of times for a couple scores, and then for whatever reason, they couldn't figure out how to, to guard Isaac Nauta on that, that drive towards the end of the, uh, the first half there. So if that happens, if they do a little bit better job there then you're talking about that game being a one score game or or even closer than that so um and i think that fsu is trash i think miami's trash um missouri (laughs) could be a trap game but i I, again they lost some uh they lost some talent too at the uh, the wide receiver in the tight end position so 
you know, there is a lot of reason for hope. And, um, you know, I'm just a cheerfully optimistic. My biggest, guy, so. my biggest thing with Georgia is, man, they got to play did, did Dan just talk for 12 minutes without saying who the loss was actually going to be to? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a politician in the making, Nick. He absolutely did. But I think the main thing with Georgia is they got a new play caller. You know what I'm saying? It's not the same offense. So I want to see how James uh, called totally. the plays or whatnot. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I want to see what he do, man. I mean, his knock at Miami was he got too pass happy at times. Uh, offense was predictable. He, he, was a lot, he was a lot like Jim McElwain to the point where they'd score early on. He could script plays pretty good. But after that, you didn't know what he was doing. You couldn't figure out what he was doing. So, no feel for the game. Yeah. So, you know, hey, maybe they score quick and, and you know, next Saturday, but that, that might be about it. Let's go, Nick. Yeah, I've got, um, I've got 10 and 2. I, I actually picked Florida to win the East at, um, at SC Media Day when we filled our ballot out. So you were um, one of the ones. I was one of them, yeah. Um, I think they're undefeated going into LSU, like Dan said. I think Auburn. Um, I think Auburn might have the best defensive line in the country, but I don't know why the rest of their team is getting credit for how good one position group is. Um, I, I really don't have any faith in, in their ability at quarterback or how they're going to be able to move the ball, especially against the Florida defense that, that I think really high of. I think the games to me, the circle, or it was what, kind of what everyone else said at LSU, um, at Georgia. And then I think I think Dan Mullen has got some – some Steve Spurrier, some Urban Meyer in them. And, and I think you'll see a different team when Florida goes to Missouri, because I, I think, I don't know if he said, I think we let Georgia beat us twice. I don't know if that was just for the public, you know, that's what he said, but I think he'll take losing to that Missouri team to heart. And that'll be a really big point of emphasis to, to beat Missouri. And it's a tough place to play. It's really hard to get to Columbia, Missouri. If you've never been, you're not missing out. Don't worry about it. That's right. um, but yeah, at LSU, and and I think that Georgia game are the, really the ones the ones to circle. Um, and I think Florida also has a favorable schedule when it comes to bye weeks. Playing at week yes. zero, you're given three bye weeks, and they they play one game, they have a week off, and then they play seven, and they have a week off, and they play two, then they have a, a week off, or something something similar to that. So there's there's an opportunity for them to get healthy, rest up, and prepare for their big games. And their big games are at the, the ends of those stretches. So. Uh, depending on how, or at the beginning, pardon me, of that Georgia that Georgia game comes off a bye. So I think depending on their ability to stay healthy, they've, they've got a really good chance of, of being 10-2, 11-1. Uh, hell, maybe even 12-0. I see Thomas excited about maybe 12-0. <laughs> it's not happening. I got news for you. Will. Not Will. Let me, uh, let me flip-flop on one of my picks real quick. <laughs> Um, I forgot that Dan Mullen completely has Dave Aranda's number um, against LSU, oh. and I always forget about that, but that dude cannot – I mean, he always is prepared for – I don't know what it is to pinpoint it, but he wins that matchup, and it's not even close the last couple of times they've played. And I, I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm hesitant to pick LSU in that game now that I remember that, but I still think that it's a – you got you're still asking for things to break right if if you're going with the ten wins and you're asking a lot of Felipe Franks I think to to um, take that next step forward and nice. and not be the reason why you lose games. I'm not saying he's going to win you games, but he can't be the reason why you lose games anymore. I mean, it's hard to forecast what Georgia does, but does ten and two get Florida and Atlanta? No, no, nah, I don't think so. Okay. 
Because I, I don't think, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think unless their we, two losses are to Tennessee Martin and Lipscomb or whoever Towson or whoever it is, but you know, whoever I, wins that, I'm saying, a, I'm saying in a make sense way, you know, just tend to, we tend to get Florida to Atlanta. If one of those wins is against Georgia, it's Georgia, yep, that's mm. that's the that's the only way. That's the game, yeah. If you uh, lose I got LSU and Missouri and beat Georgia and everyone else, you can get in. Yeah. Well, also Florida could get to the Peach Bowl at ten and two. So, Dave, I think that you've uh, you're onto something there. <laughs> hey, I, I got us undefeated in the playoffs, bro. Um, <laughs> just say it, so say it with your chest. You know? <laughs> hey, bro. Hey. I'm going to let y'all know how we do in the playoffs. My prediction on that, after we beat Miami, I'm going to let y'all know how I'm feeling about, you know what I'm saying, what we do with the Bama in the playoffs. But right now, I got us in the playoffs. So we're going to do it the Bama in the uh, SEC Championship game and the playoff? <laughs> I, you, I don't you know if I got, can't I got, lie I, that much. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> I, I can fix this lie up a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually got – I have LSU winning the West. There we go. <laughs> So we play LSU twice, and then Bama slips in. They still they, they don't fall down too low. They, they have one L two and get in the playoffs. Two two SEC teams in the playoffs. I wasn't prepared for that, but I could spin anything. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't letting you get off easy. <laughs> so I all think right. that's it, man. We'll do another one at one of these bye weeks. We got to figure it all out. Um, so the next Gator panel will be bye week. Reconvene. Hey, see where we at. I guess it makes sense. What by week before Georgia, kind of halfway point in the season. Yeah, that makes sense. Somewhere around there. All right, guys, All right. that was fun. Like always, appreciate you fellas jumping, joining on, man.